0: Oh Well, uh, good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm uh, Mike Relja. I'm the director of arts here, and uh, I got to tell you, um, so we have these little introduction pieces, and so often they're really cl- clear and clever. And I'm not really even sure what to do with that one. I do know that when you talk about Christmas, immediately Santa makes you know an appearance in your th- thinking, usually. But um, you know, when I grew up, I, I love Christmas, uh, and and I love all the festivities, and we grew up watching claymation versions of Santa. You guys remember those? And uh, last night, like Frosty the Snowman was on, and, and Chris Kringle, you remember the Abominable sm- Snowman, and Yukon Cornelius, all those guys. And that, to me, right there, is not the Santa that I'm aware of. As as a matter of fact, I would actually say, I would take a tip from some of the people in the video. And if you see that Santa, I would run also because I don't <laughs> think he's the real guy. So, uh, <laughs> anyway. We're in a three-week series uh, that we're called An Undone Christmas, and I just wanted to let you know, again, uh, next Sunday we're starting our Christmas Eve services at our regular, regularly scheduled times, uh, service 9.30, 11.30, and uh, 5.30, and then on Tuesday at 2, 4, and 6, and it's the same service both days. Definitely, definitely mark your calendar and make an effort. Uh, I always prefer the Christmas Eve, actually being here on Christmas Eve, so uh, you choose whatever works for you, but I'd love for you to be here for that. And like I said, we're in a, we're in a series uh, two weeks ago. If you were here, you heard Dave uh, talk about being undone by royalty. Last week, Ladd talked about being undone by hope. And today, we're uh, talking about being undone by presence, uh, by God's presence. And um, there's a there's David Crowder song we've been doing all throughout this series. Uh, it's called All This Glory. And he, he has some uh, lyrics in there that are uh, pretty interesting. He says, in the middle of the mass, there's majesty. In the middle of my chest is the king of kings. In the middle of the night, you, our majesty, to the middle of our plight came the king of kings. In the middle of the night, after all this quiet, Jesus, God, with us. And I don't know about you, but have you ever been in a situation or a time in your life where you've really struggled to feel like God was present? Anyone, you can be honest, anyone ever been in a place like that where you've just been like, man, I just don't feel it? You know, I... I just even this week, I was, uh, my wife and I, we we had that experience this week, on, on at least two days where we we uh, we just finished praying. We prayed specifically to God for something to happen. We we were specifically just pouring out our hearts to Him, and asking something from Him. And almost immediately following our prayer, the very opposite of what we had prayed for happened on two separate days. And it kind of reminded me of if you've seen "It's a Wonderful Life." George Bailey prays. The next thing that happens, he gets punched in the mouth and he goes, that's what you get for praying. That's literally what I was feeling in that moment. Like, I'm like, where's God in this, right? You pray for something and nothing. Or maybe maybe you've, you've even been the opposite, where, where you're like, God kind of feels like creepy Santa there. <laughs> you ever experience that? He's like chasing after you and you're like, leave me alone. You're trying to get away from him. Either way, I think that understanding what the presence of God is in our lives is essential to having a healthy relationship with Him. It's just essential. Sometimes, you know, let me ask you this. If you had to, you know, wear this Britney Spears mic and talk to all of you for 30, about 30 minutes about what it means to be in the presence of God, what would you say? Just think about that for a second. What does God's presence mean? Anyone? peace. I asked, I asked my wife, I always do, she, she gives me my good points in my messages, and I asked her what, you know, what, what does it mean to be in God's presence? How are we in God's presence? When are we in God's presence? And she had like a whole list of about 25 things. It's really interesting because for me, I think sometimes it's easier to actually sense the presence of evil. Have you ever, I don't know if you've, we were talking about this at man, in, in our, our car ride, I don't know where we were, maybe we were. I don't remember where we were, but the management team, we just were like, have you ever had an experience, have you ever had an experience where you've just walked into something and you actually physically feel an evil presence? You ever had that, anyone? And we were kind of sharing my story as I was in a band, we were, we were doing uh, concerts and we walked into this one club and the guys in the band, we were all believers, all followers of Christ, and we walked in this building and in, like simultaneously we all turned and look at each other and like, what is that? It was just this thick, almost human presence or you could just experience evil, and so we immediately started praying. And it was just a weird night. The whole thing was crazy. But as I was as I was taught, thinking about this and, and uh, preparing for this message, I came across this really interesting story. And it sounds like a made-up story, but it's true. And it goes like this: Some years ago, in a church in Carter County, Tennessee, they had a, they had an attorney drop a deed for their property. He wrote the deed naming the Lord God Almighty as the owner. That was fine until some years later when the church wanted to sell the property and relocate. They went back to the same lawyer. He said it wouldn't be a problem. The court could issue them a new deed. But as part of the process of writing such deeds, it's necessary that it be determined that the previous owner could not be found. So the sheriff was given the papers to sign, and he swore that the Lord God Almighty was not to be found in Carter County, Tennessee. (laughs) The newspaper articles saw that. They saw a story and then they picked it up. And the headline read, Lord God Almighty not to be found in Carter County. And the article went on to say that his infernal satanic majesty, however, could most certainly be found in Carter County, Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that so often we as believers or even not as believers in Jesus Christ, we find ourselves in a similar situation where we think that the Lord God Almighty cannot be found in the county that we're in. And I think it's important for us to understand not only what that means, but why it happens. And I just want to pray really quickly, and then we're going to head into sort of talking a little more about this. So will you pray with me, please? Lord, uh, we, just, we just invite you into this moment. We ask you to, uh, to be present, as you say you will, and to be here with us in this moment, as you say you will. Help our hearts understand that you're with us. Help us understand be able to uh, get to the heart of what it means to experience your presence and how that can draw us closer to you and make our walk with you even deeper and more meaningful. We love you. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, what I want to do this morning is we look at the presence of God. I kind of want to approach it uh, from sort of a biblical historical context. I kind of want to like, go through the Bible and look at occurrences of the presence of God, specific occurrences. I'm kind of going kind of to shotgun through this, go, go really quickly, because there's actually quite a bit. But the first thing we see is in Genesis, the first real occurrence of, of uh, the presence of God is we, we find... In Genesis. And the thing that I want us to understand is this, that in the initial design of humanity, we were designed to be in God's presence all the time. Look at this. Chapter 3, verse 8, we'll pick up in, and it says this. This is in the garden of Eden. Adam and Eve. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? So what we understand from this, first of all, that they recognized the sound of God walking in the garden. So you've been in the situations where you've heard something like, what's that? Because you've never heard it before, right? Well, this is not that occurrence. This is something they were quite familiar with, which leads us to understand that this was sort of a daily practice. That God's pres- God was present in their life and communed with them and walked with them sort of on a daily basis, it sounds like. And that's the design. Now, the design is changed because it says what they hid from him. Why did they hide from him? Because they had just sinned. See, because of the sin that had just happened, sin brings shame. Shame brings hiding. Hiding breaks relationship. And that's exactly what happened. But the initial design, it was for God to be present in our lives 24-7. And then we kind of move forward through the Old Testament, and we find uh, the Israelites carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant was this symbol of the glory and the presence of God, okay? That's what it was. And in the Ark, they carried, like, artifacts, spiritual artifacts of significant spiritual moments of God's glory and presence. They, they carry, in the, in the uh, Ark was uh, the tablets that Moses had written the uh, commandments on, and they had some uh, manna from when God provided for them, and it was a physical representation of God's glory and presence that they carried with them. And then we go forward a little bit more and then you have the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was the temporary dwelling place of God. And it was a tent that they would erect. They'd travel around, they'd set up camp and they'd pull up this tent. And the glory of God, the presence of God, actually filled and in a manifest way, smoke and the whole deal. It filled the the, the tabernacle. And then there was this whole ritual of who could go in to experience God's presence and what you had to do in order to be worthy to do that and what were the regulations and rules and this whole thing. And that's where God's presence dwelt. And then we have these really interesting occurrences, these things that we call theophanies or Christophanies they're called sometimes. And theophanies and Christophanies are actual physical human manifestations of deity to other humans. And I'm going to, this is where I'm just going to blow through these things. There's so many of them. They're very interesting. And, but understand this, that the point of theophanies, the theological significance of theophanies is kind of twofold. First, it demonstrates the existence, first of all, that there actually was a God. God exists and that he's sovereign. And then the second thing that it sort of demonstrates was that he was present and concerned. Because each one of these theophanies, each one of these experiences, and I'm not even going to name them all because there's too many of them, each one of these carried with them a spiritual significant impact in the life of the person that they encountered God's presence with. So when someone came into the presence of God, their life significantly changed, okay? So you have Hagar, which was Abraham's, uh, actually Abram's. Uh, servant, She had Ishmael. And she says an interesting thing after God appears. And, and you see, here's the language that's used. It says the, uh, the, the angel of the Lord or the angel of the God. That's how we know. And there's a specific uh, designation for this term that's different from all the other angels. Okay, This is a specific uh, term that's used uh, often in, uh, uh, interchangeably with Yahweh or God so that we understand that this is not just an angel. This is God in, in, in an interesting form appearing to people. Okay. And uh, so Hagar, God, the Lord, the angel of the Lord appears to Hagar and she's running away. And she says this after her encounter with him, she returns back to Abram. She was running away from him and says, she calls him the God who sees me. And she says, for I have seen the one who sees me. Is that interesting? She has seen the one who sees me, that intimate nature of who God is. And you go on, you have Abraham. You remember uh, Abraham argued with, with uh, Abraham and Lot. They argued with uh, God about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah for their sin. Then Abraham later, he goes and he's, he's uh, instructed to take his son up and sacrifice his son up in the mountains. And as he's about to be obedient to God, the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, don't do it. I'm going to let you off the hook. Then you have Jacob who wrestles with God. And Jacob says, the similar thing to Hagar, he says, I have seen God, and he spared my life. Very interesting. Uh, Then you have Moses at the burning bush. He's called into leadership at that moment. You have Balaam. If you remember the story, Balaam's taking, he's going on, he's, he's doing something against the will of God. He's on his donkey, and the donkey actually sees the presence of God. He sees God in the road, and he's like, no, I'm not going. Sorry, dude, you're on your own, right? And uh, so Balaam gets all ticked off. He starts beating the donkey. He's like, go for it, and the donkey won't do it. And then Balaam is so persistent, the donkey starts talking to him. It's kind of interesting. He just has a normal conversation out of anger with his donkey, right? And then finally what happens is the angel of the Lord, or God incarnate, is visible to Balaam now, and he's like, whoa. And he realizes that he's been called on his sin in his life. You have Joshua, uh, right before his victory with Jericho, God appears to him. You have Gideon, when he's called, God appears to him. You have Manoah, who is the father of Samson, who was the uh, deliverer of Israel. Um, And then you have uh, David, who uh, right before... uh, Right before they they were going to be called into judgment, God appears to him and lets announces that the judgment is coming. Then you have then you have also beyond just these physical human manifestations, which were really interesting. You have like these these spiritual or uh, divine manifestations, like uh, you have uh, the pillar of smoke and the pillar of fire that led the Israelites by day and night. Remember that. That's a glory expression, the presence expression of God that comes out and they follow them. You have Shekinah glory, which is interesting because that's where God's presence and holiness and glory appears in a radiant light that guides people. You have dream manifestations, where God appears to people in their dreams and it's a specific occurrence of him. And then you even have like uh, God, where you find in scripture where God said to Noah. Remember he told Noah to build an ark or these multiple times where God actually speaks to individuals. And then you, you also have, uh, where the Lord appeared to, it says, and it's kind of hard to figure out exactly what's happening, but there's some sort of interrelationship that happens on a, on a deeper level, and so on and so forth. I could go on and on. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when the fourth person ends up in the fiery pit with them, and there's all kinds of these theophanies. They're really interesting. And then, though, so there's the presence of God manifest, face to face encounters, and then we fast forward to the New Testament. And our time of December, which is Christmas. And what happens? Jesus Christ comes, all God, in human form. Now, what I want to do is I want to look at this because this is really interesting because this shifts, this shifts things for us. I want to look at John chapter 1. It's a very recognizable passage that we look at a lot. And it just is this. John chapter 1, verse 14, and it says this. And the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Eugene Peterson, in his translation, the message says it this way, that the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. So what you have in Jesus Christ is an actual human being living, fully God, living among us. The presence of God moved into the neighborhood. And why? He lived to give an example of how we are to live beyond that. Check this out, uh, John chapter 14. So Jesus lives, dies on the cross, raises again, and he's going to go back to heaven. And check this out. It says, chapter 14, verse 12, Verily, or very truly, I, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to, be, uh, to the Father. Well, what great things did he do? He healed. He comforted. He mourned with. He cried with. He rebuked. He taught. He uh, he just loved us. See, Jesus Christ's life, he came, God came to earth so that we could have a physical example of what our life was to be. And then, after living with us and ascending back to heaven, it's not done yet, what happens? John chapter 14, again, he continues on. He's talking to his disciples, and he says this in verse 25 and 26. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace. I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Okay, so Jesus Christ comes fully. God lives with us. He's ascending back to heaven, but he's not leaving us on our own. He's sending the Holy Spirit. This changes things because no longer is the Holy Spirit just living out here in the tabernacle and stuff. The Holy Spirit is living within us. We now have, as believers in Christ, complete communion with God, his presence in our lives on a daily basis. And he instructs the disciples as he's leaving to do what? What's he to tell the disciples? Go make more disciples. So not only do we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we have us to carry his presence. See, now we have the Holy Spirit in us, and we are the carriers of his presence to everyone else. In addition to that, now we have God's written word as instructions. We have prayer. See, we have, so. and I don't know if you've ever, have you ever thought this, man, I just wish God would just just give me two minutes of his time and show up and I could see him in person and I could just ask him this question. Well, I just, my hunch is it's not quite that simple because the disciples live with him and they seem so confused all the time. I don't know if, maybe we're better off with the Bible and the Holy Spirit and prayer. So you say, well, that's really interesting so that's, that's, it's a great history, but, but so where are you going with this? Let me, let me explain something to you. I want you to hear clearly something that, that is very, very important for us to understand when talking about God's presence in our life. That A, it is his design. He designed us to be in community and to be in his presence all the time. Okay? And B, he promises us that over and over you look at Hebrews 13 I'll never leave you or forsake you Deuteronomy 31 as I was with Moses I will be with you Joshua 1 uh, he says I will be with you wherever you go I will not forsake you he says in Chronicles and the list goes on and on and on and here's what I want you to understand God's design is still for us to be in community and be in his presence 24 7 that's still the plan And so you say, so if that's the plan, then why don't we experience God's presence? Why is it that the Lord God Almighty cannot be found in Carter County, Tennessee? And the answer is this. I think actually there are five things that I want us to be aware of as we talk about this. The first thing, and we're all in a different place in our life as we journey journey towards or away from God. And the first one is this. Some of us may have just hardened our hearts, and that's a fancy Bible way of saying, I'm closed off to the idea of having God in my life. Some of you here today are just like, I'm here in church, but I'm not really open to this whole thing. I'm not interested in it. I'm I'm being gracious to my husband or my wife or whatever. I'm here because I see this hot girl goes here. I want to, whatever. I don't know what, but some of us have just said, I'm not interested in God in my life. We see this in Matthew chapter 13. It says this. And Jesus, this is really interesting because Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's just got, he's just finished saying to them, I've shown you this stuff and you understand it. You're going to understand more and more and more because you're open to it. And then he says, but I want to point out something from Isaiah and he quotes the scriptures in Isaiah and he says this, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. And they've closed their eyes, otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Again, his promise is I desire this, but you've shut me off, and that's the reason you don't feel me in your life. And so often we think it's God's problem, and the problem is very clearly ours. So the first one is if you harden our hearts, the second thing is this we're distracted by other things. It's a great passage in Luke, it's chapter uh, 10. Um, And and in this passage, I'll just read it. It's picking up uh, verse 41. It says this, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. And so what's happening in this passage is uh, Jesus comes into their house and Martha's busy getting this dinner ready. She's gonna do stuff for Jesus, right? She's gonna make this great meal and she's really busy getting all this stuff together and and Mary's just sitting there at the feet and actually Martha's kind of, she's ticked off about this. She's like, I'm doing all this work for Jesus and you're just sitting there. And Jesus says to her very clearly, see, I don't need you to do things for me. I need you to be with me like she's doing. And so often in our lives, we don't feel his presence because we're so busy doing things for him that we don't just sit at his feet. And what God really desires is our presence with him as well as his presence with us. The third thing is this, we aren't looking for him or looking for, the, for his presence in our lives. And the promise I read, and you can go through, continue through scriptures, I read just a few, just a handful of the promises of God's presence in our life. And the promise is clear, but we're choosing not to believe something. And I just have to tell you this, that in those times, because there are times in our lives as believers that we don't feel his presence and we think something's wrong. Let me just tell you this. When you're in that moment where you don't feel his presence, this is when you need truth to inform your feelings, Don't let feelings inform your truth. It will mislead you. And so what you do, you go to God's word and you keep washing yourself and bathing yourself in the truth that he will not leave us and he's promised to be with us and he will go with us until your feelings catch up with what's true. And we miss God's presence because we're not looking for it. The fourth thing is this, we sensationalize it. So when I asked, the only answer I really heard was, what's it like to be in God's presence? It's peace. And there are, are many more, but this happened in Jesus' time, and it happens now. I, I'm one of, I, uh, I'm on one of the uh, I did a recording, one song I, I wrote it was called "Bearded Lady Jesus." And the song is all about um, how in the time, Jesus was walking around, and these myriad of people were just following him around, and they actually were looking for amazing, sensational, they were sort of treating him like a circus freak, and they were coming to him going, hey, walk on water, turn water into wine, hey, let me see you do this, and so what they wanted was some sensationalized experience, they, they, and as I said, they weren't looking for God's presence in their life, they were looking for presence with a T from God, Right? And we sensationalize it. You, you see it here in John six. it says, "So they ask, "What sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you?" What will you do? See we sensationalize our experience, so there has to be some great moment, and if there's no great moment, then God's obviously not here. I want to show you this you won't see this up on the screens, but I want to read a passage to you really quickly, where it's Elijah, is one of my favorite Old Testament characters. And in this passage, he has just finished uh, this battle with, where God, he calls down fire from heaven, if you recall, and they, he, he, the fire comes from heaven and, and uh, it, it eats up the, the altar where he's sacrificed and all these, he's having this like battle with these prophets from Ahab and, and uh, they, they all die because they lose the battle. And then what happens is he gets a hit put out on his life. So he's running for his life and he's like, this, this is horrible. This is horrible, it's not fair, and he's feeling sorry for himself, he's running, he finds a cave and he goes and just lives in the cave for a minute, and this is, this is where we pick up, and it says this, then a great and powerful wind tore, through the mount, uh, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the, uh, and the wind there, uh, and after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire, And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? See, so often we want this sensationalized experience and we're looking for all this hype and this busyness and this crazy pomp and circumstance that we miss the whisper because there's so much that we're expecting. And Elijah found that God's presence is not only in the fire from heaven that consumed the altar, but in his silence. And when we sensationalize God's presence, we can miss it quite often. The fourth and final one is this, that we just don't want it. And I'm not talking about hardening your hearts. What I'm talking about is what we see in Genesis chapter 3. Again, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees in the garden. Again, we don't want it because we want to hold on to something in our life. We sin Sin creates shame. Shame creates hiding. Hiding create, breaks the relationship. And as long as we don't reconcile the sin in our life, we don't really fully want the presence of God, because the presence is very uncomfortable. So I'm just gonna we're closing out here, and I want to show you something, um, and but I, I think that so th- that's that's why we don't experience, why we miss God's presence in our lives, and I think so be aware of those. And here's what I want to show you. I want to show you a picture. It's a Christmas picture of my family. Well, it's my kids sitting on Santa's lap. Okay. Now you can't recognize anyone up there except for Santa. That's the real Santa incidentally. Uh, And uh, so there are three kids in the picture. I have four. I don't like the fourth one. So we didn't let him get in the picture. (laughs) So I have four. The first one is, and I want to I talk about four ways that we actually do experience God's presence, and the first is this. It's my son, Elijah, who's not in the picture. Well, he's a little bit old, and he kind of represents the five things we just talked about. Now, just by the picture, not in his real life. I'm just saying. His experience, he didn't really want to be with Santa. <laughs> he was kind of past it at that point, you know? He we were in the mall, he probably wanted to be at fans buying a new baseball cap or something like that. He had different priorities, right? So he kind of represents that. But I want you to look at another one. So he's, Elijah's uninterested. The next one is this, Gideon. Take a look at this picture. Yeah, cute. Uh, takes after me. He, uh, <laughs> so here's how I view this picture. He's kind of sitting there and he's kind of, actually, he's cute, but he's kind of unaware of what's going on, quite honestly. And so often we spend a majority of our life in relationship to God's presence, actually unaware. Do you know that right now, Jesus, God, is in this moment. He's here with us. And so often we blow through life unaware of his presence in our life that I think if we consciously made the effort to understand that he was here with us, we would make different decisions all the time. But we kind of spend our time in the presence of God like that. Just kind of doing whatever. Let me show you another one. This is my daughter, Natalie. See that? She, she's uninhibited, right? She's in this moment. She's experiencing Santa's lap, and she is loving every minute. She doesn't care what anyone else thinks about it. She's just, it's just this great, awesome moment. And I want you to understand, oftentimes, we're unaware Oftentimes, we're in this glorious, uninhibited moment where we'll do anything because we're in the presence of God. Both of those happen. I want you to look at the third one. And before you show this picture, see, Jude, he's the one in the red. We had talked to him about seeing Santa. He was so excited. We talked all about what it's going to be like to sit on Santa's lap. And he's like, "Ooh, all excited. And then he experienced Santa, and this happened. He cannot get off Santa's lap fast enough. And here's the point with this that we need to understand that often the presence of God is not just peace and awesomeness and uninhibited. See, he calls us to do things that we don't want to do, he calls us to deal with stuff in our life that's not okay. And he becomes treacherous. (laughs) and we can't get away from God fast enough. Here's what I want to do as we, pray, as we close. I want to pray. And I just want to encourage you with something. As we go through our day, our life, our weeks, whatever it is, it is so essential that all of these Old Testament people that we looked about, you know what, here's the thing, they are just normal people that without the presence of God tried to do a lot of stuff and they didn't really, whatever, but became amazing people because they allowed God to be present in their daily lives and it changed them. The same is true for you. When we allow the presence of God, we'll experience uninhibited worship, we'll experience worship where we can't feel Him, where experiences terrifying presence, but in the end, He will produce in us what He desires for us to be. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're just grateful for your love and for your truth and for, your, for just even those moments that are terrible and terrifying. We know that you love us and we believe based on your word that you are with us and you won't leave us, you won't forsake us, you will go with us and you will be with us. We trust you, we believe you, we love you. We ask this in your name. Amen.